Welcome to College After Hours, a prep class in the business world taught by top executives. My name is Robert Selman, a fellow college student and your host. Thanks for tuning in. Today on the podcast, we will discuss company culture, the C-suite, and the climate crisis. To answer student questions, we welcome the CEO of Logitech, Bracken Darrell. Hello, Bracken. Thank you so much for being with us here today. Thank you, Robbie. I, I really appreciate you having me on here. Yeah. Do you mind introducing yourself, maybe telling the listeners a little bit about you know your background, where you went to school? No, not at all. I grew up in uh, in the, this, 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 this state that sits somewhere between California and New York, like a lot of states. Uh, so if you're not, if you're from the state of California, you won't be able to pick this out on the map very easily. I bet. I'm from Kentucky. I grew up there, and then I I went to college uh, in Arkansas. I think Kentucky was at the time the 48th state in the union in education quality, and Arkansas was 49th. So, so I, <laughs> I moved backwards. Um, but I and I went to a small liberal arts college called Hendricks College. But two year colleges are really near and dear to my heart because my grandfather was the president of a, a very, very small uh, junior college or community college in, in uh, Jacksonville, Texas for about 35 or 40 years. So I, I've always loved them. Yeah, that's great to hear. Um, my grandfather as well actually taught at a local community college when he moved from New York to California. He taught night classes, you know, to bring home some more money. Um, so as I said in the intro, you're the CEO of Logitech. Uh, just to get right into things, how would you describe the role of CEO to a college student like myself? You know, I have some understanding of the business world, but I haven't yet been involved. So what would you say to that? You know, I am the CEO of Logitech. In just a, a minute on Logitech. We, some of you will be, uh, probably a lot of you will be familiar with Logitech G, our gaming business. So we have a gaming business. We make mice and keyboards and webcams and lights and a whole bunch of th- stuff for, for regular work, whether you're a student or just having fun or, or working. Um, and then we make the stuff that people use for, for podcasting and creating online. We make microphones like Blue Microphone. We make a stream cam. We make we, we own Stream Labs, which a few of you will know, which is you can broadcast yourself gaming or doing anything else uh, live onto Facebook Live or onto Twitch. And then we're in the video conferencing business where we make all the equipment. And we make about, about three out of, or two out of every three rooms that have video conferencing equipment will have ours. We work with Microsoft Teams and Zoom and Google. We, we do not work directly with Riverside. You could certainly use this there. So so we're, um, anyway, bottom line is we're, we're in a lot of bit different things. The CEO job is um, is kind of the, uh, exactly what you'd think. You know, it's the job where, where the decisions ultimately stop. Now, most decisions in a company are made way below they get to a, to a CEO. So when you're the CEO, especially of a larger company, your decisions tend to be the decisions that are, ones that nobody else can make. So their, their judgment, their judgment based decision or into intuition based decisions. So most of your career, you'll be told you want to make database decisions and you do, but by the time you get to the CEO role, the vast majority of your decisions are actually not database. Those, the, the, the data is part of it, but the real decisions are based on judgment, intuition, uh, and, you know, kind of the collective experience you have. Yeah. So speaking about uh, judgment and intuition, uh, what are some skills that you have in particular that allow you to excel at this role of CEO? Or maybe, you know, what are some common skills you find among your peers? I would say I'm better at this role than any role I've ever had in my life. So I'm a good example of somebody who wasn't very good at the beginning. And then I progressively got better as I went up. I think they call it the Peter principle, but I, or something like that. Or, you know, 
I, bottom line is I, I was, I started my career as an auditor and I was the least detailed person and most disorganized auditor probably in the United States. When I graduated, I, um, I went to work for Arthur Anderson. In fact, my first day on the job, I, uh, I had to print something back then. The printers had these big, heavy tops. You had to lift up to tear the paper off really a dumb way to design a printer, but I'd lifted the big top off my first day to, to print something. And the big top fell right back down, hit me in the nose. And I, I broke my nose and had, had two stitches and was on workman's cop my first afternoon. So, so I was, it was an inauspicious start, but I'm uh what, so the, the, the skills that I think you really do need to develop is you need to, uh, you need to have looked at kind of the overall world of a business, ideally been involved in the primary thing that is sold or, 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 or built for users. And, um, and I have a lot of that experience. So that that's kind of my background. I've worked across almost everything you can think of in a business. Yeah. So having this deep breadth of knowledge, you know, really helps you as a CEO. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Although um, you can, anybody on this call can go be a CEO, a CEO tomorrow. You start your own company, you're a CEO, and then you'll learn another way. Yeah, that's a very good point. And so then, you know, kind of the flip side of that, um, What's something you might warn to prospective students who are interested in the role of CEO? An example I have is uh, I'm a waiter on the weekends and at night. And if somebody was interested in being a waiter but didn't enjoy talking to people, I might shy them away from the profession and say, hey, you know, maybe go pursue something else. Can you think of anything similar that's, you know, a reason some people might not want to go into the role of CEO if they don't possess certain skills or don't enjoy doing certain activities? No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's it's like the best job in the world you have. It's super interesting. You have a real diverse set of experiences. You have lots of paid friends who are paid to be your buddies, say yes to you all the time. And um, who could ask for more? I'm only partially kidding. Uh, it is a fantastic <laughs> job. And yeah, but you know, at the end of the day, I guess the the downside is your your mistakes are. Uh, you have to take on a lot of responsibility because your mistakes can cost a lot of people a lot of pain. And uh, I've certainly made a lot of mistakes in my life. You have to be able to live with that. But, but I would say the job itself is very fulfilling. There are people who, you know, honestly aren't too social. You know, like would much rather just work independently and code. And probably they don't want to be CEOs, at least not right now. But it's yeah. amazing to me how much how much you can develop things, interests, and in things that you would say, "I oh, God, I'd never want to do that." And you do it a while, and then before you know it, you go, "Oh my gosh, I really like that." I think I'll just add to that. I think the biggest driver of things that we like or don't like is whether we think we kind of are naturally or have a propensity to be kind of good at them. And somebody told me a long time ago, you don't know if you like something until you've gotten to the point where you're pretty good at it, which is really interesting. So I would encourage anybody before you decide, I don't want to be a CEO or I don't want to be a waiter, try it for a while. You might be surprised after you get to the point where you can do it, how much you like it. Yeah, that's a great point. And kind of to circle back to the idea that as CEO, you know, decision falls on you and, you know, you're responsible for, you know, everything, all these like high level decisions. Uh, I'd like to thank you for making uh, Logitech a carbon neutral, you know, as a young person set to inherit the world, like climate change is often on my mind. Um, I know many, I know many of my friends and myself are passionate about the climate. However, I, I find this common theme in all our conversations that sometimes you have to choose between, you know, maybe maximizing your career and doing good. Like, do you have any advice for these young, bright students who might be scared away from the business world because of the profit first environment, second culture that kind of looms there? Yeah. Don't settle for that answer. I mean, that is, 
you know, this idea that you have, if you want to do good, you should go into nonprofit. If you want to do uh, well financially, you should go into a business. That's absolutely not true. And it's, it's, it's a lot less true today than it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and it'll be nowhere near true in five years or 10 years. So you do not need to go to a nonprofit to do well, to do good. Um, and I, and the reason I can say that with so much conviction is I've, I've lived the world has changed, you know, and, uh, we are, we are just a little bit on us. We are carbon neutral today. We'll be climate positive, which means uh, pretty strongly carbon negative, but with, by 2030, there's a definition around that. I mean, technically we're probably carbon negative. Now we're, um, we're, car- we're carbon labeling our products so that you as a user can go in and make a choice on whether you want to buy that. You know, for example, this mouse, the mouse that I have sitting next to me is the equivalent of a, in its entire life from manufacturing to, to end of life and and all the working of it in between while you're using it is the equivalent of about a gallon of gas. And so we're, and we're reducing that. So we're taking that down on, t- on top of that, whatever we're not reducing, we're planting trees, either in China, Malaysia, Indonesia, Somewhere in the world, we're planting trees because they're the best carbon sinks we know of, and so we're gonna. And we want we want to be we want other people to compete with us to have lower carbon on their products. So we're 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 stating both what's the gross carbon, so how much carbon's put out, and then what's the net after we uh, reduce carbon with in, with investments in trees and things. So so we're doing good, and we're we're in it to not to not to try to be less bad. We're gonna do we're we're in it to be a positive for the environment not to be less negative for the environment. And that's what all companies need to be doing. And um, I think you'll find more and more where you'll feel right at home, Robbie, with your point of view. Awesome. Yeah. And again, thank you again for you know all the work you're doing. Uh, one thing to go off of that, I would say is, obviously, I think, you know, you're passionate about it. And you know, you're that's something you really want to do. Do you think more companies are going to follow, you know, in these footsteps? Or do you think it's going to be more driven by the consumer? Like you're saying, you know, people are going to say, I don't want to buy this product if it's not carbon neutral, or, you know, carbon negative. I think um, consumers, customers, you, Arlene, me, we're changing the world, you know, because we're, we're changing with our with what we express as preference, you know, and what we buy, what we don't buy. And, uh, and then regulatory changes are also going to influence the world, but they're too slow, you know? So I think you can vote with your wallet, you know, with your credit card or with your parents' credit card. Um, and I, I recommend that strongly. And I think Patagonia has been a model for this where, you know, you, you, when you buy Patagonia, you know, you're doing something good. And I hope that as people learn more and more about what we're doing, you buy, when you buy Logitech, you'll know you're taking carbon out of the air. You know, you, that's, that's the game plan. And you're influencing the world in a very positive way. And you're getting something you want. So, yeah, I think that's going to happen. I think your generation is inheriting. My generation did to the planet and all the generations before us. And you should expect, in fact, you should demand us to, to fix it, you know, and, uh, and then you'll carry the ball when we finish. And, um, you know, there's a lot more to do and there's a lot more to do in almost every company, every for-profit, non-profit, you know, government entity, everything in the world. So there's a lot, it's an exciting world ahead of you all. And, and I promise you that it's going to be better when you get it. Thank you. Um, and a little bit of a non sequitur going, you know, into this company talk. Uh, I often hear about company culture. I may be alone in this lack of knowledge, but you know, I'm looking to be educated like what is culture? How is it made and how will it affect me as an employee? Culture is the set of behaviors and beliefs that, uh, that an organization, uh, people tend to share inside an organization, just like there's a culture in a, 
if you're in the Catholic Church or if you're in the Baptist Church or if you're in a Jewish synagogue or if you're in a, a mosque or you're a Buddhist, you know, there's a culture in the in all these organizations, you know. And so the culture is it really is a set of beliefs and activities that that end up uh, kind of defining what what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, what do people want together to do, what do people not want together to do, not want to do together. That's the culture. And companies do have cultures. They try to, they strive to have cultures. It's pretty hard to define them usually. So if you find it a fuzzy, fuzzy definition, then you're not alone. I do too. And I've been doing this for a very long time. Actually, I finally got to the point where I, I think we've, we spend too much time talking about culture personally. And I, I think we should talk more in companies about how do we unlock the, uh, the power of the individual? You know, how do we unlock the, the unique thing that makes you special so that you're, you're super excited when you work and you're, you're creating something that you're passionate about. How do we, how do we unlock that? How do we create cultures that do that? Not cultures where you think, okay, how do I, how am I supposed to dress? How am I supposed to walk? How am I supposed to wear my hair? How should I sit down? How should I stand up? How should I come in? How should I go? You know, I don't know about you, but I'd never like to fit into anything. And, and I have fit in my entire life to many things, just like we all have to. But, but fitting in is not really what we want. We want people to stand out, you know, especially for what they, what they believe in. That's a, that's a great answer. Uh, it really resonated with me when you're saying, you know, we're looking for what people can bring to the table. It sounds like, you know, we're not looking, we're not looking at how everybody's going to be the same in a company, but we're looking at, you know, how each individual person can change the company for the better. Oh, excuse me, change the company for the better. Um, so how would you as, you know, CEO or maybe just take it as like a leader, you know, of a club, like for a college student, you know, a leader of a club or a leader of a sports team, you know, how do you plan to enact that kind of, you know, individualization almost? Yeah, it's, um, I think the most important thing is, is it starts with re- rethinking what your business really is or what your organization really does. You know, you can start by saying, well, you know, I'm in the business that makes, uh, mice and keyboards for for people like us you know so that's what we do or you can say actually i'm in the business of of uh of helping people fulfill their passions i play some small role for many people in the in the in the path they're on to try to make the most of what they have and to find and to do the things they really love you know whether it's gaming or 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 creating something online for other people and if we're in that business then I got to have the people inside feel the same way as the customers are trying to create that for on the outside. So I want the people inside to have that passion for what they're doing. You know, so ideally I hire people who have a passion for whatever they're doing, whether it's marketing or sales or, and, and, and if they don't, it's okay. Then I want to make sure that I have, it's a place where you don't feel like you have to work, you know, kind of eight o'clock in the morning till, till, you know, 11 o'clock at night and have no time for those passions in your personal life. So, I think it really starts with you know really caring about people and caring about what people feel and uh, and realizing that you know every individual who works here every individual in your organization has a lot of options and you don't want them to spend time with you if it's not fulfilling or moving their lives forward so your club for example you want that you want everybody who comes to that to go you know what it made my life better or it helped me think better about where my life's going and you seem like that kind of person or you wouldn't have me on here. Or you wouldn't be doing this with such seriousness. You know, so I think um, I think you we all have an inspiring role to play, you know, and an, an exciting, passionate role to play in the world. It's something we're excited about, not something to, that people told us to be excited about. And I think finding that and finding an, an, a description of that, it starts with a description of that that is big enough 
a big enough umbrella that everybody can stand under it is probably a good place to start. Yeah, again, thank you. Uh, fantastic answer. Um, I think the idea about finding your passion and, you know, uh, empowering other people's passions hits really close to home. Um, you know, being a college student, trying to imagine, you know, what I might want to do with the rest of my life and, you know, what I might be passionate about is definitely something I consider daily. Um, with that, um, my major and, you know, every college student, I think, has the same feeling. You know, you think about what jobs am I going to be able to get with it? You know, is it right for me? You know, like you're, you're worried about this major, this anxiety behind it. Um, if I'm correct, I believe you went to school, you said at Hendricks for English, you worked as an accountant out of college, you went to business school and ended up in leadership. You know, I find this nonlinear career path to be extremely pre prevalent, but so often students feel that their majors are going to decide their lives. You know, could you speak to this like anxiety that students have? Yeah, I can. Um, you know, I think, well, let me go, let me back up a step. There are people on here who don't feel they have a passion or one that, that really makes sense to, to put their life to, you know? And what I would say is, you know, that, let me, if you don't mind, I'm going to answer a different question first. I'm going to come back to you. Cause I think it's really important that everybody gets included in this conversation. You know, Steve Jobs famously did this Stanford commencement speech, which if you've never seen it, I strongly recommend it. It's 17 minutes of absolute brilliance. Um, and I agree with all of it except for one thing. He says at some point, if you, if you, uh, if you, you know, if you haven't found your passion yet, don't stop looking. And you, the only reason I disagree with this, you would have, you might have the impression you should just stop everything until you find your passion. And, you know, sometimes you don't find your passion until later in life. Sometimes you find many passions. You have so many, you don't know what to choose from. You know, I, so I don't quite agree with that. I think, I think you can, you can have faith that if you, um, if you just set a goal somewhere for something and you get started and then you keep uh, looking for things you, you're excited about and falling on and, and, and thrilled with, you'll eventually find all those, all those ways to fulfill your passions and ways to put them into your existing career or to pursue them as a direct straight line. You know, you want to be a professional gamer, so whatever it is. So just, just trust me on this one that it's that, that you'll, you'll find one eventually. And if you don't have one right now, it's okay. Um, you want to, you're going to have many in your life anyway. So have a, have a broad enough view of your future that it, it could incorporate a lot of things. So, that brings me to your comment about career paths and majors. When I went to school, I majored in English because I wasn't very good at expressing myself. There are people listening right now who are going to say, and you still aren't. Um, and, and then I was pretty good at math. You know, I wasn't exactly a mathematical genius, but it was a, it was a strength, I would say. And uh, there are probably people listening to this who are the reverse, you know. So I, I for whatever reason, decided to major in English because I thought I really want to do leadership stuff. And, uh, and the math I'll be okay on. So I, I ended up taking, but I, I hedged my bets. So I majored in English. I took enough accounting that I could be an accountant. And then when I graduated from school, the only schools that came to campus to interview were, were the accounting firms. So I ended up going into work for an accounting firm. And I think I was the only English major in the entire country that year who was, a, who was an accountant or an auditor. And I might have, well have been the worst uh, auditor that year, but it had nothing to do with the fact that I was majoring in English. So I, I, I took a nonlinear path, but it was really kind of by choice. What I would say is take enough diversity that you can, you can kind of hedge your bets a little bit. You know, if you want to, if you want to major in Spanish, major in Spanish is fantastic. It's great to speak Spanish, but also major in something you think that might be a practical way to get a job. The Spanish will come in handy and it might become the only thing you do. You might become a translator for the UN, 
And the other thing that you choose will also probably come in handy, even if you are a translator for the UN. But it also might come in handy right when you get out of school because you're looking for a job and you're like, man, they're not hiring too many Spanish majors here. I, I, so, so hedge your bets a little bit and take enough in both sides. You could even double major. Okay, yeah. And I, I hear you talk about setting goals and, you know, trying, you know, working towards these goals. I think that's one common theme I found. And, you know, a lot of the interviews I've read and a lot of the things I've read about you. Um, one quote I actually have written down and not just because of this interview, but I have it written down because I think it's a great quote is, you know, goals are free. They don't cost you anything. And they're so effective. It's about staying hungry and setting a goal is just a way of creating hunger. Again, I have that written down, not just for this interview, but you know, for the rest of my life, I think it, you know, speaks volumes about the power that goals have. It also speaks about, you know, trying to push yourself to achieve. Um, keeping with that hunger metaphor, how do you balance hunger and starvation? You know, meaning how do you set a goal that, you know, you want to push yourself, but that still is achievable. So, you know, if you don't, if you don't get there, you get close, you know, you're not failing at everything. Yeah, I think, uh, I guess I'll, I'll start with the word failure. I have a big problem with that word. And believe me, it's not because um, I felt like this when I was your age. Um, but I got, I, the one thing you do gain over time, for sure, you gain a little bit of weight and then you gain wisdom. <laughs> you're lucky you don't gain too much weight. So the wisdom part that I that I gained was I learned that uh, some of the things that didn't work out for me in my life were some of the best things that ever happened to me, uh, as long as I looked at it the right way. And so I learned so much from them. And it's really hard to digest this very obvious reality when you're, you're your age, but I'd encourage you to try to start to do it. And you'll get better and better at it as you get older. Uh, take the word failure out of your vocabulary. It just is not useful. Replace it with learning. Because, you know, if you if you view everything you're doing as, you know, hey, it didn't work. That's okay, because here's what I'm learning from it. You're not in the business of trying to find the things that, that, that work perfectly all the time. You're in the business of learning. That's your primary uh, job in life. So always with having that emphasis is absolutely key. And um, so I would say that's maybe the most important point I could make at this point, you know, is, is just just focus on on the learning part. You know, I definitely think you're right, Brack. And I think as a college student, it's really easy to think that all your learning is done in the classroom. But in fact, learning is done everywhere and it doesn't even stop once you graduate from college. Uh, one last thing to wrap it up. I'm going to ask you, what was the last book you read and would you recommend it? Well, the last book I'm reading is this one right here, as a matter of fact. It's called Helgoland by Paolo Rovelli. And you have to have a kind of a, a, an unusual interest in in uh, in the world of what's called quantum mechanics to want to read that probably, but it's a fantastic book. I would say the most practical book I, I would suggest your, your listeners and your club read uh, is probably... If you read the first eight or 10 chapters of a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. That oh, by is, Daniel Kahneman? Mm -hmm, that is a very good book to read because you'll realize it might not change the way you think, but it'll make you aware of the fact that you have two kinds of thinking going on all the time and you're always misapplying one of them. <laughs> uh, yeah. Often misapplying one of them. And we still do it. You won't learn how not to necessarily the book. You'll at least be aware when you do. Yeah, I don't think I've actually gotten through it yet, but I did pick it up this summer. And for anybody who hasn't heard of it, it's uh, written by a psychologist named Daniel Kahneman, who actually won a Nobel Prize for his work in economics. That's and right. And so, like Bracken said, he goes into this, you know, fascinating, you know, detail about, you know, how your brain works, how your thinking works. And, it, you know, it really does, like Bracken said, you know, teach you about, you know, how you think. 
Yeah, and there's a there's a kind of a, a sibling book by a, a protege of his named Dan Ariely, um, and maybe you can send this out to people if they really, if they're really interested. Called Predictably Irrational, which covers the same topics in a different way, and I think some people really find that one much more fun to read than uh, Thinking Fast and Slow. I personally found them both kind of equally really interesting to read, but so Predictably Irrational covers the same topics. This, this is the whole club that you just described. Thanks so much for the recommendation, Bracken. Uh, I really enjoyed thinking fast and slow, so I'm sure I will enjoy predictably irrational as well. We'll make sure to link those in the description of this podcast for anybody interested. Thanks again for coming on the podcast today, Bracken, and thank you everybody for tuning in. See you next time.